that I was carrying so many things in my hand mm. and I decided that I was going to carry the bags on my hip. Hmm. <laughs> Nobody in Ghana carries things on their hip. <laughs> they carry them on their head. And so, oh, you know, but I just was not feeling confident to carry my groceries on my head. I was like, I don't, I'm, I haven't done this. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not something I grew up with. I'm not going to even attempt it. And so I went up to these guys to, to hail a taxi back home. And I started speaking and I greeted them in tree. But then when I got in, he was, he admitted that he knew that I, either I wasn't from there or either I was, you know, I had Ghanaian parents and I was returning or something mm. because of the way that I carried the groceries, the groceries <laughs> on my hip versus on my head. So yes, you know, in those ways and instances, I definitely stuck out. Mm-hmm. Hello, hello. Welcome to Young Gifted and Abroad, perspectives on studying abroad from past and present students of color. My name is Danielle, and I'm so excited to be able to talk to you today because today I have my friend Kristen as the guest. Kristen is an attorney from Florida, and while she was in law school, she got inspired to go to Ghana. She had never been there before, didn't know anyone there, but felt deeply inspired to go. So she found a study abroad program for law students that would take her there. And so she spent around three months in Ghana, in Accra. So the first part of that was her studying human rights and advocacy. Um, And then the other part of that, which took up most of her time there, was her doing an internship or a clerkship at the Supreme Court of Ghana. Pretty cool, right? And so while she was there doing her thing, she also met the person who is now her husband, which was very unexpected for Kristen, but that's how things worked out. And together, she and her now husband got some unexpected practice, putting together a tour for some very special people who were coming to visit Ghana at the time. And that went so well that it became the catalyst for Kristen and her husband to start Certified Africa. Certified Africa is their travel company where they focus on bringing people of the African diaspora, especially black Americans, to Africa in hopes of forming long-lasting connections, not only through cultural immersion and exposure, but also through potential business opportunities because entrepreneurship is something that is very important to Kristen. Um, and to her husband as well, of course. (laughs) So you might remember that earlier this year for episode 53 of this podcast, I spoke to Dr. Daniels of Motherland Connect, which is another organization or um, tour company that specializes in taking black people on group tours to Africa and elsewhere. So Certified Africa is somewhat similar, I guess you could say, but also, of course, very unique in its own way and with a particular special appreciation for Ghana, since that's where all of this started for Kristen. So in this episode, you'll get to hear about what Kristen learned while living and working 
of course, studying in Ghana and also more about exactly how Certified Africa came to be and how it's going so far and what Kristen is looking forward to in the future. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with my friend, Kristen Tellis Quay. very nice to to get to speak with you today i know you have a busy day ahead of you so i appreciate you uh, making the time and i appreciate you agreeing to be a guest because um yes. i really appreciate you reaching out the way you did and i'm looking forward to learning about about uh your experiences so this should be really yes, fun i'm excited to share <laughs> well glad i'm glad i'm glad okay so why don't we start with you introducing yourself a bit, if you don't mind. Okay. Hello, everyone. My name is Kristen Tellis Quay. I am a entrepreneur. Um, I am also a attorney. I grew up in St. Petersburg, Florida, and I attended Howard University for undergrad. And um, I'm just a lover of all things Africa, a lover of connecting people back to um, from the diaspora to Africa and just black empowerment. Mm. Nice. Nice. Uh, obviously, as you mentioned, when you, when you emailed me, you went to Ghana and that was like a huge, like life changer for you. Um, but I, I was hoping I could ask a little bit about before then, if that's okay. Of course. Um, so you're, uh, uh an attorney, right? What, yes, I am. What made you want to become an attorney? Okay, so it it really started when, you know, I wanted to figure out, okay, what can I do and contribute to the world? And I think what I most felt like I could or how I could contribute to the world at that time when I was an undergrad was by helping people who don't have a voice be able to have a voice and to really be an advocate for people. And so, you know, I wanted to figure out ways that I could do that. And I decided that I wanted to be an attorney in undergrad while I was at Howard. So I made that um, decision. And it was really a, a trip that I went on, uh, alternative spring break that mm. kind of, you know, set that in motion where young people in Chicago were being, you know, gunned down and shot. And I felt like if I could become an attorney and, you know, help with policy and help with changing laws and advocate for people through the legal system, that I would be able to help and um, help people and change a lot of things. So that kind of uh, spurred spurred an interest. I spent almost a week in Chicago and, and we were doing a service project with Howard while I was there. And so after that uh, project ended, I was like, yes, I know it. Being an attorney is what I want to do. But, you know, we always plan for things to go a certain way and they don't always. So mm -hmm. life took a, a a turn of a twisted turn of unexpected events mm -hmm. since then. So I'm I'm happy, of course, to share. Yeah, I'm sure we'll get into it later. OK, 
So, so that was like after doing the um, alternative spring break in Chicago. That's when yes. you decided for yourself that you wanted to become a lawyer with this, you know, purpose of advocating for um, for people in mind, especially your commitment to you know black people and, and black empowerment and all that. Yes. Um, so, did you have an idea before of what you wanted to do before you decided you wanted to become a lawyer? I think that I, you know, I kind of did a an uh, internship my senior year of high school mm-hmm. and it allowed me to to shadow three different uh career paths and i think at the time that was broadcast uh journalism so i worked at a, a news station and i was a reporter mm. and i got to interview a lot of cool people and then i also spent some time at the state attorney's office and so i got to see of course you know what it's like to be a lawyer in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. And I learned more about practicing law. And so that kind of, you know, I actually ended up mixing the two together. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I went <laughs> to Howard, they had a program called legal communication. So it allowed you to study advertising, marketing, journalism, communications, but then also policy law. And so it meshed the two together. Mm-hmm. And it was um, a really good fit for me at the time until I decided that I was going to go to law school. So mm-hmm. I, I had an interest, of course, in communications and also advocacy. Yeah. That's really nice that you were able to kind of further your your study, further your um, knowledge of, of both when you went to Howard. I was going to say mm-hmm. you kind of ended up doing both anyway with like what you're doing now with um, yes. Certified <laughs> Africa, right? You're doing, you're an attorney, but you're also doing media stuff with your travel company. And um, I'll ask more about that later, but that's interesting how how that worked out where you, you're still doing both it all is. these years later. You know, it's funny how I have, um, I sometimes have uh, young people who are interested in you know, being an attorney or they're just kind of um, not sure what they want to do yet. And mm-hmm. they're like, should I take this path or should I take this path? Or, you know, it's not clear cut. And I'm like, it never is. Mm-hmm. You know, the way that life is set up, I truly believe that every experience that you have, although it may look like they're random, they're really not. They're going mm-hmm. to come into, you know, harmony and you'll realize, oh, I was interested in media because of this, or I was interested in advocacy because of this. And they'll, they will be able to mesh together. And oftentimes, Mm -hmm. you know, what we want to do, there is no, there is no career book name for it. Like Mm -hmm. what I'm doing now, there is no career book name for it. I don't think anybody could have listed that down as a, as a career path. But because of my various experiences, I've Mm -hmm. now kind of just, walked into my purpose yeah so you know if anybody's listening and they're confused about what they want to do just go with your your gut and I'm sure that all of your different experiences will come into harmony uh at the right appointed time yeah yeah that's good that's good yeah and obviously things have come into harmony for you in a really special way um yes which uh we'll we'll get to but um okay so you went to Howard Decided you wanted to be a lawyer, ended up in law school, and law school took you to Ghana, right? That was when you yes, were in Ghana did. for three months. Um, it did. Had you traveled internationally before going on that study abroad trip? I had. I had traveled internationally. I had been to Canada, 
um, when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And I had also uh, traveled to Trinidad the summer before. And it was actually when I was in Trinidad, my mom was born in Trinidad. So I was there mm. to do, you know, I wanted to learn more about the country and kind of see the culture that I had heard so much about or grew up kind of learning from from my mom and from my family. So I went back. We, um, of course, still have family there. And I spent uh, some time there. And it was while I was in Ghana. I mean, I'm sorry. While I was in Trinidad that I made this declaration that next year I'm going to Ghana. And at the time, it was so funny because I didn't know anybody there. Mm. Didn't know not a single soul on the African continent. And of course, I had never traveled there before, but I was just like, you know what? Something is calling me there. I have to, you know, just do it. So made that declaration and of course started doing my research from there of different um, programs and stuff that I could, you know, make the trip through. Mm. Okay. Is there a reason why, um, why Ghana specifically, why you felt this like calling to go to Ghana specifically? I've always wanted to travel to the African continent. So I'll just put that out there. It had been long time on my, you know, list of things to do, but mm-hmm. it just never worked out for me prior to that, that point. But someone advised me, a good friend uh, from law school had advised me, well, you know, if you want to go to the African continent, you, you want to try to do something that allows you to stay for a longer period of time instead mm-hmm. of just taking like a seven day or eight day trip. And I agreed, wow, like that would be good to really be immersed in the, the culture. And so when I was looking, I was looking for law programs that would allow me, of course, to spend an extended period of time. And so I think there were some other programs in South Africa. There was one in East Africa and then there was one in, in the West. And so as I was deciding, I was like, I think uh, I would like to have a West African experience. And I had heard so much about Ghana and I heard that the people were welcoming and that it would be a good place to go to for my first experience um, of African culture. And so I decided on Ghana because I found a a program through Fordham's law school. Hmm. And so that's kind of how I decided on Ghana, the program, what I had heard about people, how I wanted my first experience to be. Um, I decided, yeah, this is this is the, the place for me. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And so you went through Fordham's program. Were you at Fordham? Is that where you went to law school? No, I okay. was not at Fordham's law school. I was actually at Florida State oh, okay. uh, Law School. But they allowed for a lot of the law schools when they have these summer study abroad programs, uh, they allow for students from all over mm-hmm. to join. So we had students from Florida, students from um, the West Coast, you know, all over that mm-hmm. came and applied to this program. I think there were only two Fordham students actually on the oh, program. Okay. <laughs> and everybody else was from different universities. Yeah. So it was interesting. Okay. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome how that worked out. You were able to find a program to take you to the place that you were looking for. Do you remember what the what like the theme or the purpose of that program was supposed to be? 
Was it just yes. a general, well, I don't know. I'm sure you can explain it, but what was that program yeah, about? Yeah, so the program was um, focused on, so there was two two pathways that you could take. Mm. There was either oil and gas or there was human rights um, and advocacy. And so I was like, well, I'm already interested in advocacy, civil rights, et cetera. So I think that would be kind of cool to, to get a perspective of, you know, human rights. And so I chose that pathway. And in addition to that, they also allowed for um, students to um, have the option of staying for like two extra months or month and a half to do a clerkship at the Supreme Court of Ghana. Hmm. So I was like, whoa, like, I was like, that is so cool. (laughs) I would love to do that. And, you know, that's something great that I could, you know, tell about my experiences you know, after I come, that's something great to have professionally. So mm. I chose the, the human rights path and it was like two weeks of, of coursework. And it was, um, it allowed for Ghanaian students who were also in law school and also, um, students coming from the program to interact and have the classes together and mm. have discourse together. And then it also allowed for me to have the, 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 the clerkship and, it was so, you know, things just work out interesting. I mm. ended up being placed with um, the, the the chief justice of Ghana Supreme Court, who at the time was the first woman to be the chief justice oh, in wow. Ghana and all of West Africa. So I was her clerk for the summer, and um, I was just like, wow, this is this is amazing. So mm-hmm. the program turned out to be really, really great. Mm. Wow, that is so cool. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so cool that you got that opportunity. Yes. Um, and, and I mean, I, it's not like I, I know Ghana's geography that well anyway, but where in Ghana were you? Were you in? I was in Accra. So I was in the capital okay. city. Okay. Um, you know, everything was, was located there, but I did travel to other cities, you know, after the, the externship or the clerkship was over. Mm. Okay. Wow, I'm sorry. I was just I'm so um processing what you just said about the the first first woman chief justice. That's that's amazing. Yeah, in Ghana and <laughs> West Africa. And she was amazing, you know. Just very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. And you got to go to class with Ghanaian students also who were also law yeah. students. Wow. Okay. That and and that was interesting because you know, hearing the perspectives, we had a lot of dialogue, of course, about mm-hmm. um, America and police brutality and, and what they had heard about uh, police brutality. And a lot of times it was them thinking that these were just kind of like isolated incidents and, you know, you know, horrible isolated incidents, but they mm-hmm. weren't really seeing that they were, you know, that there was a pattern. So we started to talk about that. Yeah. And then, um, you know, what I noticed also is that they were so abreast on worldwide issues, like issues that I had never even, you know, thought of. And that's why I think that studying abroad is so valuable and so important because, as someone living in America, we often are in this bubble of America where everybody else outside of America is the rest of the world. And we think that the world 
revolves around America when <laughs> in reality, there's so many different things happening, mm-hmm. so many different things that go into how the world works. And so I noticed that they were so abreast on worldwide topics. And I was like, whoa, like I need to, you know, I need to get up on my stuff. I need to know, you know, about all of these other things instead mm-hmm. of just being so singular and only knowing about American news or, you know, how things affect America. So Mm -hmm. that really like put me up, you know, put me on the game of, you know, I need to be abreast of global citizen, you know? Yeah. So that was, that was really valuable. Yeah. Sounds like it would be, yeah. Getting to be more aware of what's going on in, in the rest of the world. And, um, I mean, as you said, the, that that mentality of of thinking of America as the center of the world is is mm-hmm. very common. So yes, <laughs> so yes. it's it's good that you had this exposure to be able oh, to yes. in, interrogate that and and push back against <laughs> it. Yeah. Um, okay. Wow. Wow. Uh, mm-hmm. What was your living situation like while you were? In Ghana, were you in a dorm of some sorts or like in a temporary apartment or something? It it was two parts. So okay. for the first half of the program, we were actually on uh, Ghana's uh, GIMPA is the name of the, the program. I think it's their uh, public administration uh, university, one of the local universities in Accra. Mm-hmm. And we were there on their campus for the duration of the human rights course, which was about two weeks. Okay. And then after that was over, most of the program participants actually left and they made it clear that once that piece was over, if you decided to stay for the clerkship, which wouldn't, you would have known that in advance. Mm-hmm. If you decided to stay for the clerkship, you would have to move off campus. And then housing, of course, would be up to you to figure out mm-hmm. where you would be housed. So I stayed on campus for the first two weeks at the, the university. And then after that, I had to then find my own place to stay. Mm-hmm. And so I was in an Airbnb for the rest of the duration of my my time. And so I stayed by myself in the Airbnb and I had a roommate while I was at the campus. Okay. All right. Did you feel like you had a preference between the two? Like did you prefer living alone even if you w- though you were in this, you know, country that you hadn't been to before? Mm-hmm. Uh, did you have a preference between Living with a roommate and living alone? <laughs> um, I enjoyed, so I enjoyed, I had two roommates, mm. actually. The first roommate, we ended up actually getting switched. But my second roommate was awesome. And me and her still, you know, connect and talk from mm. time to time to this day. And, um, you know, I enjoyed that experience because it was great. Because you are in a new country and... You, you know, if you don't know anyone, it's good to be able to talk and to, to find out what other people are feeling because, you know, there was a lot of things that I wanted to discuss about our day to day interactions. And it helped to have someone that I could talk about those things with. Mm. So I do think that that's valuable. And I also thought it was valuable to have my own space mm-hmm. towards the end as well. And of course, you know, that was just for, for personal reasons. But in the end, at the end of my experience, you know, I wouldn't have wanted to 
after my roommate left, she didn't do the second piece. I wouldn't have wanted to room with any of the other people okay. that were on the program. So it made sense for me to be by myself. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. You know, you're coming from Ghana as a law student, having, you know, already cited your study of law in, in the States and you're taking a law course in Ghana. You're also, uh, being a clerk at the Supreme Court in Ghana. I'm just wondering, mm-hmm. uh, if there were any major differences or similarities you saw between like the law systems or the approach to practicing law between the two countries, if you noticed anything like that? Oh, yeah. There were a lot of different, um, <laughs> differences. So one, I'll tell a funny story. So one of the, the cultural differences is the way the lawyers dress mm. in Ghana. And do they wear the wigs you, in Ghana too? Yes, they do wear, they do wear the wig. So when, um, <laughs> so all of the justices, of course, were wearing the wigs when I went to, um, court, the court mm-hmm. hearings. And so that was interesting to see. And then most people, when they pass the bar and they take their pictures, they're in the, the, the wigs, which they get from the British, mm-hmm. um, British influence on, the the country and then in addition to that they also strictly wear white and black it's usually a black suit with a white um collar shirt or white um undershirt Hmm. and so you know i think someone had told me that ahead of time but for some reason i think i had ran out of clothing or something and i was like you know what i don't have any more white shirts I'm just going to wear this shirt today. Mm. And I was wearing a bright red shirt <laughs> and I wore it to, <laughs> I wore it to well, the Supreme Court hearings for the day. And, you know, I didn't even think about it. I was just so intrigued about what was going on. Mm-hmm. But later on, after the hearing, some of the guys that I worked with in um, the, the chief justice's chambers, they pulled me aside and they were like, hey, you know, you probably shouldn't wear a red undershirt or any colored undershirt underneath your suit jacket again. So you only wear white. And then it hit me. Whoa. Everybody in those chambers was looking at me and gossiping about me and trying to figure out who is the girl that's wearing red underneath her black suit jacket. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, Oh, I mean, I didn't feel like, I didn't feel like anybody was like ostracizing me or anything, but mm-hmm. it was just like really funny. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I can't believe I did that. Mm. It was like a big, huge no, no. But I'm sure that I, I was the topic of everybody's conversation that day in court. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So black and white. So just... yeah. Oh, but you asked any other differences. Yeah. So there were some other legal differences. Okay. And one of the huge ones was, you know, because it was the, the system, of course, is still developing. There are some loopholes and those loopholes kind of present issues with the ability for people's cases to be heard in a, in a timely manner. Hmm. So a lot of the systems are still, they're not like in some sort of electronic database as oftentimes things are here. And if you have a case and your paperwork is lost, then you're not, your case is not getting heard and you're going to remain in, in prison or in jail or wherever 
until they find it. And sometimes they don't ever find it. Sometimes judges leave. And when the judge leaves, if they took your paperwork with you or if they've destroyed your paperwork and it's gotten lost, sometimes people end up staying in there without having their cases heard for years upon years upon years. So we heard stories like that about Mm. people who were innocent, whose cases were never heard, and they just been in, in, in prison and jail for a long time. The chief justice at the time had done a lot of things to improve um, some of the bribery that was happening mm. and corruption that was happening in the legal system in the sense of, oh, you know, if, if, if you want your case to get heard faster, you know, you give the judge some sort of money. That is what was happening. So people's mm. cases were getting pushed to the side because people were paying some of the judges to hear their cases ahead of time. So she had done a lot of work and she was exposing people and setting setting them up and recording and showing that these are the things that were happening. So that was less and less and less around mm. the time that I came and she had been championed for doing doing that. So that wasn't really happening as much anymore. And they were now trying to focus on the ability for people's cases to be um, heard on time and then prison conditions, yeah. which there was a lot of overcrowding going on. Yeah. So those were some of the, the major differences in the, the legal system. I know that here, you know, we just, you know, it's not really a thing for people's cases and their rights to be infringed upon like if it's time for you to have a hearing you're going to have a hearing like that's a that's a violation automatically and something that can get a case thrown out Mm. you know so very different yeah yeah because i was listening when i was listening to i was thinking like you know there are instances here and obviously you would know better than me but like where people do stay in jail for a long time before they get mm-hmm. to plead their case. But I guess the reasons for that are different between here and Ghana. Um, like yes. the, the context is, is different. So stuff just get, just gets lost and goes missing. Yeah. Um, and then they're just like, well, we don't have the paperwork. So I guess you just have to stay there. And it's like, no, like if that happened, I feel like somebody could argue for the person to actually be let out, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But interestingly enough, yeah. Well, uh, I mean, it's good that the chief justice who was there when you were there was trying to um, reform things so that a lot mm-hmm. of those issues, a lot of the, the corruption and other inefficient things that were happening were not as as prevalent. <laughs> um, yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. Wow, okay. I'm happy about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you got to witness it firsthand too, so... I'm sure that was valuable as well. Mm-hmm. What about your, um, like your day to day life outside of your studies or outside of your, what would you, a clerkship? Is that what you would call it? Yes, clerkship. Okay. Yes. So outside of your your studies and your clerkship, what was your day to day life like while you were in Ghana? Oh, it was amazing, and I would say that it was, I would say that something that shapes an experience is the people that you meet and how well you are able to immerse yourself Mm -hmm. in the culture. And so something that really, you know, helped my experience, I feel, is that I had reached out. I think I mentioned earlier that there was a, a friend who advised me to stay 
longer than just seven days. Mm. And so, you know, I have reached out to him. He's also an attorney. And I had reached out to him and I said, I'm really interested in going. And his dad actually, um, when his dad was younger and a professor at um, Florida A&M University, he was doing trips to Ghana. And I first reached out to him and said, hey, does your dad do these trips anymore? He's like, no, you know, he's getting up in age. He doesn't do them anymore. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you should you should still look into other trips and see if you can stay longer. And he also had told me that he knew another attorney that had recently just returned back from Ghana and that he would put me in contact with her. Mm. So he put me in contact with her and had a great discussion with her and learned a lot of things about how to prep for my trip. And she told me, I know a lady in Ghana who was so helpful, so nice to me while I was there. I'm going to put you in contact with her. And so I actually ended up meeting the lady on my second day in Ghana. And she, uh, she was just so crucial to the experience that I that I had. And so my day to day experience was like hanging out at her house with her family, you oh, know, wow. and eating fufu and and, you know, experiencing some of the local dishes and learning some of the local slang and, you know, just ways of life of an average Ghanaian. She taught me a lot of those things and taught me how to, you know, take the local transportation and how to negotiate, you know, my ride fare or negotiate buying different things. And she helped me a lot out with the the language mm-hmm. um, piece. But, you know, it was the day-to-day experiences of waking up and, you know, going to work and taking the local transportation, coming back, get, picking up groceries at the market. It was very, it was very, um, you know, interesting because I wanted to have an experience not where I was like kind of on the outside looking in, but I just wanted to live and not be, I wanted to blend in. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, you know, a lot of people go to take documentaries and all of that, but I really felt like during that time I was just trying to blend in mm-hmm. and, and not be seen as an outsider. So it, it worked actually. Yeah. So you didn't feel like you were, you stood out as an outsider. People saw you as an outsider. No, I didn't. For the most part, I would say no. I think, of course, people. Sometimes people can just tell mm-hmm. that oh, this person is different. <laughs> they She's not from can. here. They really can. <laughs> but for but there were sometimes also I feel like where I blended in very very well. So there's instances mm. where I blended in well. Um, there was a time when I was riding the the local transportation home. They call it the the trotro, mm. and you know I learned there's like key things that you do when you get on there. And if you don't know how to do them, you're obviously going to stick out. And that person, they're going to be like, oh, this person is not from here. So, Mm. you know, my friend had taught me how to operate when I get on there. So when I get on there, I'm not, you know, playing around. I'm focused and I'm acting as if (laughs) I'm acting as if I'm getting in so Mm -hmm. that I can, of course, nobody can tell that I'm not from there. And so I think I did it pretty well. Like I knew, I knew it knew how to do it so well. And so when I got off of the Trotro, I think something had gotten into my eye. And so my eye was like, all of this water was coming out of it. And this lady just starts speaking to me in, in tree, one of the, the local languages. Mm-hmm. And of course, she didn't know that I was American. And it wasn't until I opened my mouth to speak that she was like, oh, you know, she's from 
America or she didn't understand what I was saying. Mm. But they were basically trying to tell me, ask me what was wrong with my eye. And, mm. you know, they were expressing concern and, and empathy, which a lot of Ghanaian people do very well. Like they're very empathetic. Mm. Um, so that was one instance where I blended in very well. And then there was another instance where I went shopping at the market and I'm coming home and I, I was carrying so many things in my hand mm. and I decided that I was going to carry the bags on my hip. Hmm. <laughs> Nobody in Ghana carries things on their hip. <laughs> they carry them on their head. And so, oh, you know, but I just was not feeling confident to carry my groceries on my head. I was like, I don't, I'm, I haven't done this. Mm -hmm. You know, this is not something I grew up with. I'm not going to even attempt it. And so I went up to these guys to, to hail a taxi back home. And I started speaking and I greeted them in tree. Then he was like, oh, you know, I think that threw him off because of course he was looking at me carrying the groceries. And so then I, I was negotiating with him. And I got into the car. I mean, he did okay with the price or whatever. But then when I got in, he was, he admitted that he knew that I, either I wasn't from there or either I was, you know, I had Ghanaian parents and I was returning or something mm. because of the way that I carried the groceries, the groceries <laughs> on my hip versus on my head. So yes, you know, in those ways and instances, I definitely stuck out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting how something like an action that is seemingly so small as you carrying your groceries, even that can be a tell in terms of people being like, oh, yeah, some, something's, that's not something something's else. off. Yeah. Yes. Like that's not something, <laughs> some, a way that someone who's from here would act like something as small as carrying how you carry your groceries can, yeah. can, can show that you're, you're from somewhere else. So you're not, yeah. you know, wow. Okay. That's really interesting. And you mentioned fufu. I've heard of fufu before, but since you mm -hmm. mentioned fufu specifically, can you explain what fufu is? Cause I'm not, I've heard the name, but I don't know exactly what that dish is. Yes. So fufu is a mixture of cassava and plantains pound it together until mm. it reaches a consistency that's like a dough. And it's often eaten with soups and, um, you know, other Ghanaian dishes. You know, you take it and you dip it into the soups. And then you, of course, would enjoy the meal that way. And, you know, it is probably one of the most widely known West African um dishes or mm. accompaniments to the dishes and it's a very starchy food and that that is Ghana's cuisine all the way lots of starchy foods and mm. you know it's it's cultural in the sense of people historically ate that way because it gave them a lot of energy to do the things that they normally would have done where it would have been you know walking for long distances or spending time outside doing agriculture, you know, you needed a lot of energy and you needed something that would fill you up. And mm -hmm. so these starchy foods like fufu and some of the other um, dishes that Ghana has, uh, those things fill you up a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and um, you know, and they, they taste good and give you a lot of energy. Yeah. So, okay. Yep, that's, that's fufu. Good, good. And I'm sure you had, as, as you mentioned, all different kinds of dishes while you were in Ghana. I get to really get a taste for Ghanaian cuisine. Um, 
I did. Yeah. I did. Um, interestingly enough, at that time, I was not eating meat. So a lot mm-hmm. of the dishes have meat in it. But I found this this restaurant um, right across from the, the Supreme Court called Asasepa, which in, in tree means the earth is good. Mm-hmm. And it was a vegan, so it's a Ghanaian vegan restaurant. So they have a lot of the Ghanaian dishes, traditional um, dishes, but they make them without meat. And they sometimes use like tofu or some of the meat alternatives. So I was literally there almost every day <laughs> for lunch, <laughs> eating jollof rice, you know, or eating um, groundnut soup without, you know, the meat. They would put tofu and some of the other meats um, or meat alternatives in it. And mm-hmm. oh my God, it was amazing. I was just so happy <laughs> that I got the best of both worlds. I was like, I get to enjoy Ghanaian cuisine, but then I also don't have to worry about you know, the, the meat piece. And I sometimes had fish. So I was eating fish from time mm-hmm. to time. And when I would go to people's house, I would just tell them no meat and they would do the fish. And that was okay. Yeah. For me. You know, I was flexible in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. It's good so. that that worked out that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned you, you were mostly in, in Accra, but you mentioned going elsewhere uh, during your time as well. Was that all within Ghana or did you go to like neighboring countries. Oh no, as well? I did not leave the country. It okay, was, okay, it was all within Ghana. I gotcha. wanted to, but it just did not um, work out that way. Mm, yeah. Okay, so you were in Ghana, right? You were studying, you were learning about Ghana and and the culture, mm-hmm. and then you were doing a clerkship. You know, you're doing all these wonderful things, and then during this time, also you meet your who who would be your your future husband, right? Um, yes. How yes. did how did that happen? How did can you um, walk me through how that happened? <laughs> yes, I can walk you through. Um, I actually met him on day one of my oh, wow. trip. <laughs> um, he was actually the uh, the assistant to the program that Fordham had. Some of the things that he was was doing was helping us with day to day program interactions, and you know. He also helped us with like understanding cultural things mm-hmm. and, and when we would go and do tours, he was giving us overviews and all of that. And so on my first, first day there, I of course interacted with him and it was so interesting. You know, I think I was immediately uh, attracted to him and he was also immediately attracted to me, but that just kind of opened. I wasn't really sure where it would, where that would go mm. because, you know, you go to, you go to a foreign country, you meet someone and, you know, there may be some people who even advise you against, you know, dating anyone while you're international. You know, I've thought of things like, will this just be something like a summer thing? And then once I leave, is it, will it be over? Mm. You know, it, it's, it's interesting because you just never know how those things will work out. Mm-hmm. But in my situation, it ended up being something so more and it altered, you know, the course of my life for, for in a good way, I would say. But yeah, we met my first day and I remember actually being on the bus because when we first arrived, he wasn't there to pick me up. Normally he would have been there to pick up each program participant up. But for some reason, that day he was not able to make it. Mm. And I arrived separately 
than everybody else who came um, because of my flight, um, me having to take a later flight than expected. So I arrive, mm-hmm. I get to the, the campus where we were having the program and he was there and he was talking to everybody else but me. And I was just kind of like, okay, <laughs> you know, he hasn't said a word to me, but I think he's the guy that that's, you know, uh, checking everybody in and all of that. Mm-hmm. And so from there, we um, decide to go out for the day and kind of explore um, across the, the, the city. And, mm-hmm. and my husband, of course, now shares that, you know, he wanted to speak to me, but he was too shy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was like, he's like, I spoke to everybody else, and you know, it was, it was, but I just couldn't speak to her. And he's like, I don't know what it was, but so yeah, he wasn't able to speak to me when he first saw me. Hmm. But we get on the bus and we travel to the lighthouse, which is in a, a town called James Jamestown, which is hmm. still in Accra. Um, but we go to Jamestown and. I guess around that time, that's when he musters up the courage to say something to me. And so I'm walking and he runs up and catches up to me and he's like, how was your flight? And so I'm like, oh, it was it was good. And I start to get into this whole long explanation. And then someone calls him. One of the staff members calls him and he's like, I'm sorry, I got to go. And at that time, I'm like, oh, my gosh, like. That was rude. You know, I'm getting, in, I'm getting into my whole like, you know, why I'm here and how my flight was. And he just kind of disappears. Mm-hmm. But later on, he shared that he wasn't trying to be rude. He was just, you know, at that time they they call him. So that was our first, you know, small interaction. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we headed to the mall and on the way to the mall. And by this time, I'm so tired. I'm jet lagged. And I wasn't really too sure when we were going to get get the ability to sleep. But he's at the front of the bus kind of giving this overview of the rest of the tour. And I'm literally about to fall out of my <laughs> my seat onto the floor because I'm so tired mm-hmm. and jet lagged. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I don't want him to 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 see me about to fall out of my seat. That's that is, you know, he's going to think I'm rude for mm-hmm. doing that. And so I was trying my best to stay awake. But I remember just kind of seeing him and thinking, oh my God, like he is so beautiful. And I texted my cousin and I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, girl, I think I may have met my husband. (laughs) And she's like, already? On day one? (laughs) Like, I'm like, yeah. I was like, I met this guy. You know, he's he's so nice and he's handsome. And um, I was like, I just like, I really like him. And she's like, okay. So that was, I remember that moment. And we, him and I talked a little bit after that. And we found, or he found out that I would be staying longer. And um, he kind of walked me around the mall. So each person kind of had somebody that, that went with them as they were handling their, their business and transactions in the mall. And somehow mm-hmm. we ended up together. So we chatted about that. And he got my number at that point in time. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, we kind of exchanged numbers. And from that period on, 
you know, we would see each other while I was doing classes and all of that. And when the when the classes were over, mm-hmm. you know, that's pretty much that was pretty much the end. Everybody left. All of the staff left all of that. And so him and I actually stayed in contact after the program was over because I actually really didn't know anyone aside from him from being in the program. And mm-hmm. then the the lady that I mentioned to you before yeah. who had been recommended or connected, I had been connected to her from an attorney that I knew in Tallahassee while I was studying law. So mm-hmm. those were the two people that I knew. And now all of a sudden I'm supposed to be moving off campus and, you know, I don't know the language. I don't, you know, know anybody else. So I was like, okay, it's probably a good idea to keep in touch with him. <laughs> mm-hmm. <Right>. And, <laughs> you know, so we kept in touch. And from there, I would say that's when we really got to connect even more and spend more time together. And um, it developed into something, something more. So that's how, that's how we initially got connected. And then around the time that the program, I mean, that was two weeks in that the program officially ended. So from that time at the, to, towards the end of my three months, I would say we spent pretty much every single day together. Wow. Wow. That's yeah. so sweet. Wow. <laughs> and so like, and so you left, when you left, you maintained contact and, and somehow made it so that y'all are both over here now. Right. Yeah. So, okay. um, it's not the traditional love story in the sense that, you know, we didn't spend a long time dating or we didn't really know each other for a long time. Mm-hmm. But we knew at the end of the three months that I was there that we wanted to get married. Wow. So, yeah. So before I left, he'd actually, you know, asked me to marry him or or we talked about marriage and what that would look like for us. And we talked about our values about marriage and love and all of that and and listening to him talk about these things and what he valued and what I valued it let me know that wow this is somebody that I could see myself with so one of the Mm -hmm. key things that I think also defined that I knew that I was in in love with him like Mm -hmm. there was a time that we had an argument and you know I said something to him and it was hurtful to him and he was like and and when he expressed that it was hurtful, I was like, wow, the pain that I felt when he told me that, I was like, well, I've never felt that about anybody that I've ever dated or liked. It was mm-hmm. like um, him being hurt hurt me also. And, mm-hmm. I, and, you know, I, of course, apologize. But it was like I feel connected to him in the sense that I would never want to do something to hurt him or care mm-hmm. about him. And so it, that confirmed to me at that moment that, wow, okay, yes. You know, this is somebody that I can see myself with that I love. And I don't know how this happened <laughs> because I didn't <laughs> I didn't expect for it to happen. Right, you didn't go to you Ghana looking for a husband. <laughs> no, I did not. I did not go to Ghana looking for a husband. It's funny though, I had a friend that was like, Hey girl, we don't go over there, come back with a husband and I was like, <laughs> I'm not saying that I will, but I'm not saying that I won't. Mm. And I think because I was open and I just didn't have any expectations and I also wasn't trying to shut it down, mm-hmm. you know, I, that opportunity presented itself to me and I just took it in that moment and decided in that moment if it was for me. But maybe if I had, 
you know, gone like, oh, I'm not going to talk to anybody because of all these preconceived notions, I would have shut off a chance mm-hmm. for my blessing, you know, yeah. something that has altered my life. So, you know, I had to push all of those things out of my mind of what traditional love could look like for me to be where I am today and for us to be married mm-hmm. because I went back. Oh, so I'm missing, I'm missing a piece of the story. So he asked me, and of course I said yes, and we decided that we wanted to be married before I left. And oh, then my wow. parents okay. actually came. My parents actually came the last seven days of the time I was in Ghana. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to experience it as well. And um, we put together this trip and this this tour for him, my husband and I. They enjoyed it. They really got a, a beautiful experience and, and all of that. And it wasn't until I never told them that we had anything going on. You know, I just kind of let them. I wanted to see their reaction to him. I wanted to see if they liked him and all of that. And they mm-hmm. really did like him just for his own, you know, personality and all of that. I remember mm-hmm. my mom arriving and within an hour of the meeting, she's like, oh, my God, you have to come visit us in Ghana. <laughs> and I've heard so much about you. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm, you, I'm sorry, you have to come visit us in the in the States. Mm-hmm. You know, she wanted him to come and, and visit. And they felt like him and the other young lady had taken such great care of me that they were now family, too. Wow. So they, they loved him. And it wasn't until we got back home that I then told my parents that we wanted to get married. And they were like, OK, well, we like him. So we discussed it more. And they they were accepting wow. of us moving together, moving forward with marriage. Yes. Right. Okay. Wow. So they were receptive. Wow. Okay. So, so hearing you, you tell it, it's way different from what I thought. I thought, okay, you met this really nice guy in Ghana. You stayed in contact. And then eventually since then, you've both no, relocated and got married. <laughs> but everything went really quickly where you, that's all much faster than I thought. And I, and I, um, I'm surprised that your parents were so receptive because I don't know. I would just assume that a parent would well, be a lot more like, maybe even suspicious that you're getting married to <laughs> someone in such a short amount of time and they're not even from the same country as you, but it seems like your parents were cool with it. Well, I'll say this, Danielle. It was, that's why I say this whole thing was was fate and mm. it was meant for me to travel there. It was meant for us to meet. It was actually meant for my parents to come to Ghana. So I have to paint, paint a picture. So mm-hmm. Nia and I, of course, were... There was another company that we were going to hire to do this tour for my parents, the 10 day mm-hmm. tour for my parents. And I kid you not, like literally two days before my parents are to arrive, the guys that had said that they were going to do X, Y, Z, they call me and they tell me, sorry, we're not able to take your parents anymore. We're not able to do the tour. I'm like, well, what's the reason? And they just couldn't give me a reason. So mm-hmm. now we're rush, rushing and scam- scrambling, trying to figure out, oh my God, what do we do? Because we had this whole itinerary planned out for them. So he goes and he calls his boss and is like, can I get, you know, these days off? Kristen's parents are coming. And she had already knew me because I would come to the office and spend time there mm-hmm. in the evenings until he got off work. So she knew who I was. And his boss was also the lady who um, recommended him to be the assistant for Fordham's program. So she oh, okay. was aware of, of all of these different things. She said, okay, cool. Take the time off. 
and, um, you know, do, do that for them. So we put together this, this tour for them and we had a welcome ceremony with chiefs and, you know, music, drumming, food at his house for my parents. And, you know, we, um, we had a driver and we went to all of these different places and he was with us for the entire 10 days and was pretty much like our guide. So my parents really, really, really got a chance to know him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's not any preconceived notions because I never once told them, Hey, me and this guy like each other as more than just friends. So Mm -hmm. I just wanted them to get their own form, their own opinion of him without, you know, all of those things in their mind, which they did. And Mm -hmm. they really liked him. And so I think that them coming to Ghana and meeting him and, you know, seeing what type of person that he was, that made them so much more confident when I told them that we wanted to be married. You're right. If I had gone, spent that whole time, we decided to get married, I would have come back and told them, hey, me and this random guy want to get married. (laughs) They probably would have had some objections like, you know, Mm -hmm. who is this person, blah, 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 blah. But because they met him and spent time with him and met his mom and his brother and all of that, it made them more confident. And yes, there were other family members who, you know, shared their concerns and opinions about me getting married. And even some, um, I don't know if I mentioned it, friends. There were even some friends like, don't you think you're rushing it too much? Mm. All of this, all of these different things. But it was it was meant for them to come because they were... As long as my parents, you know, were cool, that's really all that mattered to me to have their support and their blessing. And um, I did. And they, you know, stood up for me and they stood up for us being together when other people had their concerns and didn't believe we should be together. And now, four years later, those same people who, of course, shared and expressed their concerns are the biggest advocates and they love him so much Mm. so yeah it just works out in such a way where I think it was it was positive yeah yeah wow okay and is he is he an attorney as well so he was in the the law the legal field he was getting his legal degree in Ghana at the time so he has a background in law but he Mm -hmm. never wanted to um to practice so he did that well the plan was actually to go to the UK because it was a UK university that he was doing a UK program. Mm. And, but he never, of course, when he met me, that kind of changed his plans of Mm -hmm. eventually moving to the UK. And I think him seeing me study for the bar and how hard I had to study for the bar, (laughs) (laughs) you know, that just kind of deterred him. He was like, yeah, you're right. Uh, Practicing is just not for me. (laughs) So he's not he's not a practicing attorney, but he has okay. a background in law, legal reforms and, and justice and all of that. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Full transparency. I did check out um what is it, the Certified Africa YouTube channel and uh-huh. I saw your, your wedding video and like oh. at the at the end of which was beautiful by the way. Thank and, you. Um your husband said his vows and at the end he said, I rest my case. <laughs> So yes. I thought, okay, uh, two lawyers are getting married. That's wonderful. But yes. I see how it's it's different I from what really I assumed. I said that. I was like, oh, my God. Did he really just say I rest my case? But yes. Yes. Background in law. Okay. Okay. Wow. And so that um, that 
time that you planned that trip for your um your parents when they uh-huh. came was that what inspired you to to form your travel company with your husband mm-hmm. or is that something that you were already thinking of before your your parents came to Ghana? Yeah, it actually was what kind of I would say inspired it or was a catalyst for everything after that. So, you know, the experience was was amazing. Mm-hmm. I loved it like I was like, I could see myself coming back here, you know, and, and while we were even there, I remember my dad, me and my husband, we were all talking like we should definitely be telling more people about this, about the experience. And maybe we could even start our own travel company. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was something that we were already discussing and true enough, like one of the first things we did when me moved. So he moved a year after almost a year exactly after I left Ghana. And so when he moved, that was one of the first things that we did. He started working on the business and building Certified Africa. Mm. We picked a name. Um, and then we, we kind of decided what we wanted to focus on and what was going to be our niche. And we decided that there's too many people who come to Ghana and to experience culture, leave and they enjoy their experience, but they just never come back. Mm-hmm. And we were like, okay, so one, how can we get them to come back? And how can we get them to be a part of, you know, Ghana and contribute to the culture and be ingrained in the culture? And then also a second piece to that, there were so many people coming to Ghana that didn't look like you and I. Mm-hmm. They were coming because, you know, because they see Ghana as a business opportunity, a place rich in business opportunities, a, a place for them to make money. And so they come there because a lot of people don't know, you know, that there's a lot of lucrative opportunities in Africa. And I'm like, well, black people, we can be a part of this too. This is our homeland. This is where we come from. Hmm. We should be the ones that are over there doing business and pursuing entrepreneurship, not people from the outside coming. So we were like, how can we get people to, to, to see that the best way for them to understand about the business opportunities that await them in Ghana is to show them. And so we decided to merge the cultural experience together with um, exploring business opportunities and investment opportunities. And that is how really Certify Africa was, was, was born. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I mean, how has that been so far since you all started it, uh, started Certified Africa? How, I mean, I'm sure like starting your own business has its, has its trials and everything, but I mean, I guess o- overall, how would you say it's gone so far? So it, it has been honestly a blessing. And every day that I think about it, I realize that, you know, it's bigger, it's bigger than me. It's bigger than, uh, my husband. It's bigger than both of us. Mm-hmm. And, it's about the impact that it's going to have on the African diaspora and the continent of Africa. And so that's what pushes me each time when there's, you know, troubles or trials or whatever in it. And it makes, I'm so passionate about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it's been good. Our first year of tours just so happened to be the, the year of return where so mm-hmm. many people were coming back. And that was a blessing for us because it allowed for us to take almost close to 100 people to Ghana, our first 
year in business. Wow. You know? That's amazing. That was, I mean, I couldn't have even imagined that or, or expected that. But, you know, we were able to do that and it showed us that, whoa, okay, what you're doing here is something good and people believe in it. And we met a lot of people who were like, wow, like I never thought about this before. Please keep doing Mm -hmm. what you're doing. And so it was a great, great first year and it's been great so far. And I'm just excited to build and to collaborate and to take more people to the continent and expose them to all the possibilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And and that is really great timing with um, the year of return last year. I'm sure a lot of people were looking for the exact type of service you provide. And, and the fact that you had already set it up and were prepared to prepared to take people on tours and, and, and expose them to what Ghana had to offer it all kind of worked out with um, it did. what people were looking for at the time. So, and we'll continue to be looking for, I'm sure. Um, yes. Yeah. So are you and your husband, do you, um, like, do you split time between the States and Ghana now? Like, do you lead every single tour that you take people on? We do not lead okay. every single um, tour, okay. but we do split time between Ghana and here. So, we, of course, are back and forth. I mean, the plan ultimately is to be full-time in Ghana. Right now, we're back and forth. Mm-hmm. But eventually, the plan is to be full-time in Ghana and also for the company and the touring piece to operate, you know, without us. It should mm-hmm. be a company should be able to operate without the founders. And that's how, you know, efficient it should be. So, eventually, of course, that is where we are headed. But because we are also living and doing what we preach, which is to do business in Africa, mm-hmm. we, of course, are there doing other things that we're personally building, like in, in other areas like agriculture, real estate, food, um, just so many different things that we personally have interest in doing. So Ghana is one of the places, and many other African countries, there are places where there are problems And, you know, people talk about problems, but we look at these problems as opportunities Mm. and opportunities for you to come in and solve the problem and to contribute to Africa's development. And then also for you to employ people and for you also to to be able to make money. Those are your is something that you can come in and do and affect and affect a lot of people, help a lot of people and also you also personally benefit. So mm-hmm. we, you know, we are just focused on helping the African continent and doing a lot of businesses, starting a lot of businesses and helping other people move back, relocate mm-hmm. back and start businesses. So that those are the things that keep us moving back and forth um, between the states and Ghana right now. Okay. But eventually, like you said, you would like to Relocate yes, to Ghana, to, to like be make that your home. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So like when you were thinking of or preparing to participate in this program while you were in law school to go to Ghana, mm-hmm. I'm sure you didn't foresee all this other stuff happening as a result, right? Oh, no. <laughs> I think it's, it's just so, oh, I'm just amazed yeah. at how my life has <laughs> taken a turn like and I, and I wanted to share this when I was in law school, literally mm-hmm. I was, I want to say maybe the semester before I left to Ghana, one of the main motivators of me even studying abroad was because 
you know, I felt as if I was about to start this journey that was going to stop me from doing what I truly deeply desired Mm. deep down. And that was, I had this desire to travel the world and I had this desire to do it with my future family. So I was like, I want to travel and I just want to be able to go whenever I want to. And I don't want to have to work, you know, all these hours and be with people that don't really matter. I want to be with my, my future kids, my future husband. Mm. And I just want to enjoy life. But while I was in law school, I was just like, I don't know anybody that's doing that. And I didn't, it was nobody I could talk to. All the mm-hmm. people that I knew were doing the whole, you know, be a lawyer, go to work, you know, nine to five or 80 hours a week, 60 plus hour corporate lawyer. Like they were all in these roles and nobody can really advise me into what I was envisioning. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, so let me just do this study abroad thing and, and travel. I have to travel because if I don't, this could be my last um, time before I get married, get into a job, have kids. And that stops me from being able to do what I want to do. And in, and in, um, you know, trying to avoid all of that happening, that spurred me to do the trip because I had one more year of law school left that spurred me to do the trip. And I go on this trip and meet my husband. And then I also end up starting a travel company. Like Mm -hmm. it's just, I'm just amazed and so grateful and and thankful that I, that I was brave enough to go, honestly, and brave enough to, to adventure out yeah. and, and make that move because mm-hmm. maybe I would have been too scared or, um, you know, not have done any of those things. And I may have been very miserable mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because deep down I wanted to do something different. Yeah. And in meeting my husband, you know, he's opened up my eyes and he was one of the major motivators of me deciding to leave a traditional legal role of mm. being in an office and, and pushing me and showing me that you can be an entrepreneur. You can work from anywhere in the world. You can, your life can be exactly the way that you want it, you know, and, yeah. and having that support has been amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you and you're both on the same page, you know, in terms of what you want out of life and and looking at things differently outside of like what might already be prescribed for you, seeing if there mm-hmm. might be another way to live or an, another way to make what you want happen. So, mm-hmm. um, and it's great that you have each other. You don't have to. You don't have to figure that out alone. Yes. You know? Yeah. It is. Wow. Well, you you said uh, earlier that like. Something about life having twists and turns and not going as you expect. Mm-hmm. But does it seem like to you that you um, missed out on, you know, something, maybe plans that you had not going as expected? Or, like, do you feel like you missed out on, on things not going your way in, in the, you nope, know, I don't feel now? like I missed out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel like I missed out. I just, okay. I feel as if I finally walked into my purpose like I didn't expect things to happen this way so what I envisioned for myself at the time that I was um, or what I thought was going to happen versus what I desired Mm -hmm. so what I thought was going to happen was I was going to do civil rights that's what I really wanted to do at the time Mm -hmm. and I ended up 
externing at the Department of Justice in their uh, special investigations unit. And that exposed me to a lot of the different civil rights um, issues and consent decrees all over the world. And while I was there, it was actually when I decided, whoa, this may be a lot for me emotionally, mm-hmm. like to be able to have to deal with these these different um, issues relating to police brutality and mm. all of that. And I started to reconsider what I wanted to do. But in the grand scheme of things, I thought that that's what I would be doing. I would be at a public interest law firm because I knew I didn't want to do corporate law, just way too many hours. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'll be at a public interest law, helping people some way with their civil rights or with legal issues. But then when I actually got into that role, what I thought would be enough to push me through, which was, okay, you'll get holidays, you'll get to go on vacation, you'll have good coworkers. Like that would be enough to keep me from what I desired deep down. Mm-hmm. Once I actually got into that role, I hated it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't because I hated the, the, the people or I don't even think it was really the work, but it was, I was not where I wanted to be deep down. I was denying myself mm-hmm. what I truly desired deep down, which was to be free. Yeah. And not have to be in an office at all, not have to report to anyone and to just do my own thing and to be creative. I felt like my creativity was stifled mm-hmm. where I was and so many different things. But, you know, it altered in the sense of, whoa, I didn't actually think that what I was dreaming of and desiring could be possible. Mm-hmm. And I think that's sometimes where we mess up. We don't permit ourselves or give ourselves permission to do what we desire deep down. Mm-hmm. So that's why I say it took a, a turn. And I couldn't have possibly, I don't think I could have ever possibly imagined or designed out right. that I would be helping, <laughs> advocating for people in the sense of helping them move to Ghana or helping them to do business in Ghana or that I would be married to a Ghanaian mm-hmm. and changing a whole generation of you know what's to come like my my entire lineage now will span from that Mm. so no I don't think that's how it took a complete uh, twist and turn of of events Mm. yeah so it's (laughs) I I guess different from what you imagined but also maybe better than what you better imagine for yourself better (laughs) (laughs) 10 times better okay when you give yourself permission yeah, that's that's what happens when you give yourself permission to to do what you really want deep down. It can mm-hmm. be 10 times better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know like Ghana is a big place for you, especially like personally and, you know, business-wise. And mm-hmm. I know currently like, you know, travel is kind of kind of out the window right now given like mm-hmm. restrictions in relation to, you know, the, the virus and everything. But um is there anywhere else that's like on your list of places you'd like to go in the future? Once oh, it's yeah. safe, obviously. <laughs> yes. Um, I've been to some other, so I definitely want to travel to so many places in Africa. Yeah. On the continent. And when I was in Ghana the last time, we actually had a chance to cross the border and mm. go to Togo and Benin. Mm. So we went to both of those countries and they both have a lot of French influence. Um, on the, the food and the language and everything. So that was interesting to see a different place, but I have so many places that I also want to go like, um, 
Tanzania and Kenya. Uh, I want to go to Nigeria. I pretty much want to go to all of the the, <laughs> the African countries. Mm-hmm. And then I want to travel to Bali, India, um, and a few other places. Okay. So yeah, I I'm just so ready for the for the world worldwide travel piece once all of this blows blows over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, lots of really interesting and, and fascinating places that you, it sounds like you want to go to. Um, and I hope you get to go there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sooner rather than later. Although, you know, we have to wait and see. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if you have, well, first of all, with your study abroad experience, mm-hmm. uh, was there anything that helped you to be able to afford participating in that? Um, yes. Yeah, so I did. I did do some fundraising, some personal fundraising. I got, I set up a website and I got donations and I had, I did some little fun things like, you know, if you donate, I'll bring you something back mm-hmm. from my travels or I'll share different things with you about my travels. And so people appreciated that. I think they would have donated anyway, but it was something mm-hmm. nice to do um, for people who donated. And then I also, had a scholarship from from um, the law school or a donor through the law school that helped me with my room and board while I was there. So mm-hmm. I didn't really have to come out of pocket for like the Airbnb and all my food. Like it pretty much covered um, all of that. So I was grateful. Okay. Um, but I did, of course, you know, it's still expensive. It's true. It's, it's still expensive. Traveling is expensive, but I feel like while you're in school, you know, take advantage of that if it's something that you want to do, because at least if you're already taking out loans or whatever, you can just borrow and some of some more money that will help you take the experience. So I also borrowed. I took a little bit extra that semester because I knew I would be mm-hmm. studying abroad. Yeah. OK. All right. I guess more generally for anyone who wants to study abroad like you did or just travel more. Do you have any advice for someone who'd like to have similar experiences that you've had? Yeah, I would say if you have a desire to do it deep down, uh, do it as soon as possible. You just never know what may happen. I would say be open, like try your best to meet people and immerse yourself you know, if you need to study a language beforehand, do it. Like I, I, I had started getting familiar with some of the language before I went mm-hmm. to Ghana. Like that helps enrich your experience. Reach out to people, find out, um, you know, people who've been before and see if you can get in contact with anybody that may be in the place that, that you are. Mm-hmm. Um, bring a buddy if you have to. If not, don't let that hold you back either. But I just say go for whatever it is that you want, mm. even if there may be misconceptions about a particular pet place. If you know deep down that that's where you want to go, don't let that hold you back. Either. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. I realized I forgot to ask you what about um, with Certified Africa, what your vision going forward is, like what you want or what you're expecting from it um, going forward. I know you mentioned when you emailed me something about opening it up to the youth as well. Yes. But I mean, beyond that, do you, do you and your husband have a, like a vision for where you want certified Africa to go? Yes. It is a huge, 
it's a huge vision, but it just it just really deals with getting millions of people, black people, to connect to the continent. And that can be done in so many ways. So mm. eventually Certified Africa will be bigger than just the travel piece. You know, there'll be media, you know, there, w- there will be stories that are told, whether that's in film or whether that's through, you know, videography, but there will be stories that are told that connect people to the continent and and influence them to want to travel, to want to move back there, to want to do business. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we just, we feel as if, the best way for you to change a generation is to start with the youth. So we're very passionate about youth. And of course, me is passionate about helping youth that are on the continent because, you know, that was his life before being in Ghana and feeling like you have to leave in order to get opportunity. And now him coming and leaving uh, or leaving Ghana, coming to the States and being able to see like, whoa, like all of that was there while I was in Ghana and I wasn't seeing it mm. from that perspective. Yeah. So now it's about showing other young youth in Africa that Africa is rich and that is so much that is there. If you see it from this perspective, you may not even need to leave. If you have the opportunity, do it. But if you don't, like there's so many opportunities right here in your mm. own homeland. So that there's that piece with the youth and helping them to start businesses, giving them the tools to pursue entrepreneurship as an um as a path versus getting a job. And then there's also the piece of getting youth from the African diaspora to go home, getting them to collaborate with African youth and connect and mm. learn about their culture. And then also for them to start businesses and think about international business and being global citizens, because there's too many people who, who don't, too many youth who don't even know anything about Africa. What they know mm-hmm. is what the media has taught them. And it's a lot of negative things, mm-hmm. things that are not accurate. So we have a lot of work to do in changing the perception of Africa and getting people to actually visit learn about their culture and their their roots. And so the vision is is big in the sense that there'll be so many different ways that we can do it. And as we grow, we'll be expanding those ways. Yeah. So a really big vision, a really ambitious vision that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, but it sounds incredibly worthwhile. And I hope that you, you all get to do everything that you're hoping to do. Um, Amen. Yeah. <laughs> It seems like something that is, is really needed and can be valuable and, and well, I guess life changing for a lot of people, just like your experience was life changing for you. So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I know we've been talking for a while. Um, but I do want to ask uh, my last question that I ask everyone is, you know, where can people reach you or keep up with you? If you like them to do so, where can they learn more about certified Africa or just maybe even follow you personally if you'd like them to do so? Yeah. So you all can, um, if you're interested in finding out more about Certified Africa, you can definitely contact us at certifiedafrica at gmail.com. Um, you can visit us on our website, www.certifiedafrica.com. You can follow us on Instagram. We're active on Instagram. We're also active on YouTube at Certified um, Africa, we discuss a lot of different topics mm-hmm. on, um, you know, Africa and 
the African diaspora. Uh, so you can go and, and learn about things there. Uh, if you're interested in taking a trip, reach out to us. Even if you're a youth, reach out to us. We'll be, of course, launching trips for youth and we have a, our other trips as well. So if you're just interested in making that journey, if interested in moving back, and you think that's something you want to do and you want to learn more about it, reach out to us about that. And um, if you want to personally follow me, my Instagram is at BlackWealthESQ. So that's my, my um, handle on Instagram. Okay. So lots of options for people to 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 get in contact with you and to learn more about what you're doing. Um, yes. Certified Africa or um, at Black Wealth ESQ. Okay. Yes. Fantastic. Wow. Thank well, you so much, Danielle. Yeah, thank you. I, I, I really enjoyed learning more about your experiences. Well, thank um, you. I enjoyed having the conversation today. This is great. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. That's that's my goal. I hope people, you know, enjoy having this conversation so um because i know i i did so thank you for yeah. your time this is great okay. i hope you have a wonderful sunday hope your event later today goes well thank you so um, much yeah and i'll i'll be in touch okay Alrighty. reach okay. out if you need anything thank you again yes have a great day. thank you you have a great day too Kristen. okay bye right. right. <laughs> bye all right y'all there it is. Thanks to Kristen for being such a wonderful guest, and I hope you like how this all turned out. For the rest of you listening, don't forget to follow this podcast at Young Gifted and Abroad on Instagram and Facebook, and at YG Abroad on Twitter. And don't forget to check out guest profiles and resource lists on younggiftedandabroad.com. Also, if you enjoy what you've been hearing so far, then please continue listening to this podcast wherever podcasts are. And you are welcome to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher while you're at it. And as always, if you have questions or comments to share, or if you yourself would like to be a guest on the show, then feel free to email me at younggiftedandabroad at gmail.com. So for the next episode, in two weeks, the guest is going to be someone who, whose work I admire. <laughs> she has a very splendid Instagram page and podcast that I follow. And this person lives in France now, but before that, she got to study in Australia. And that's all I'm going to say for now. <laughs> So you can look forward to hearing more about that in two weeks. But until then, thank you so much for listening and talk to you next time.